Hello and welcome to another edition of Yes, That Really Did Happen. This time we're going to look at a family of oil barons, professional sports team owners, thoroughbred racers, and oh yes, at one point they controlled two-thirds of all the privately held silver in the world. Why would they do that? Well, let's start with a little back history. These were the real-life J.R. Ewings, okay? There was a gentleman by the name of H.L. Hunt who purchased his first oil field. Legend has it, I should say. His own legend, but he claimed he purchased his first oil field with poker winnings, because, hey, you know, if you're going to wildcat for oil, you might as well uh, do it with poker winnings, right? He was a quirky man. His sons were quirky as well. And he was the richest man on earth in the 1960s. All right? Total net worth, 1960s. This was the richest man on earth you've never heard of, H.L. Hunt. And he and his brother... Herbert and brother Lamar, they cultivated this image, this oil, money, Texas, good old boy image. They drove older Cadillacs. They flew coach. Now, it was the 1960s. Very few people could afford to fly in those days. But... We're talking the richest man in the world. He could buy his own plane. Instead, he's flying coach, right? And when they had a little legal trouble that we're going to get to a little later on, they took the subway to the courthouse in New York City. So Bunker Hunt was known as the kind of guy who orders chicken fried steak with jello, spills some on his tie, and then he goes out and buys all the silver in the world. All right. So what was going on with all of this? Good question. So you had these three brothers. You had Herbert, first name William. Bunker, he that was his middle name. He went by that. And Lamar Hunt. These were the sons of H.L. They're living the trust fund lifestyle. However... They also inherited their father's attraction to risk, is what we'll call it. No risk, no reward. Let's try to make, um, you know, let's try to make money and take, take risks. If there's no risk, there's no reward. That's just where we are. They were also a bit of conspiracy theorists. Um, they were zealous anti-communists back in the 50s and 60s, members of the John Birch Society, and thought that Dwight D. Eisenhower was a dedicated, conscientious agent of a Soviet conspiracy. So, you know, they are what they are, right? So... <laughs> They went and, you know, they went out 
and they did billionaire things. Um, one of them, Lamar, created and bankrolled and paid for the found the founding of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs famously were in Texas prior to moving to Kansas City, uh, and is still owned by the Hunt family today. Um, the other had 500 horses, thoroughbreds, raced them at Kentucky. That was Bunker. And the whole family from HL, now HL was an interesting guy in and of himself. From his first marriage, he had six children. They all lived on estates befitting the scions of a Texas billionaire. Their lifestyles were financed by the trust, but the risky investments in oil, real estate, commodities, sugar, beets, soybeans, they really got into the commodities market. Now, if you've seen the documentary Trading Places, you'll know that a fortune can be made trading things, even including frozen concentrated orange juice. This was also back in the day before a lot of regulations on trading that are there today to avoid people cornering the market. Okay. So this is the backstory. This is what sets up what is about to happen. So these three brothers are sitting around counting their money. And they know that the 1970s were not all that kind to the U.S. dollar. Runaway inflation. Middle East oil embargoes. And inflation was over 10%. It was up to 13.5% in 1980. And the global monetary system was in a historic transformation since the first Roosevelt administration. The U.S. dollar had been pegged to the value of gold as predictable rate at $35 per ounce. But in 71, Nixon suspended the gold standard and for the first time in modern history the paper dollar did not represent a fixed amount of tangible precious metal sitting in a vault somewhere so the hunts remember i mentioned their interest in the john birch society and anti-communists and yeah so they blamed government spending and inflation and held grave reservations over the viability of currency that was not backed by uh, actual precious metals. Remember, we were talking about silver here. Let's not <laughs> back it up. So they decided that they would rather put their money in something safe, precious metal, silver. 
because at the time in the early 70s, it was still illegal to trade gold. The gold market did not exist. The gold price was set $35 an ounce for the longest time because that's what the U.S. government said gold was worth was $35 an ounce. So the precious metal that was a commodity was silver. As an investment, there was and is a lot to like about silver. The hunts were not alone in fleeing to the bullion amid inflation and geopolitical turbulence and Cold War, all that stuff. The price was ticking up. And in those days, a lot of silver was used in photographic film. X-rays have a lot of fil- have a lot of silver in them. All negatives have a lot of silver in them. Silver is used all throughout the photographic process. Photography as a hobby with the advent of really inexpensive point and shoot cameras and with the technologies that was coming about where cameras were becoming more and more automated so you didn't have to know what you were doing to take a good picture which for the longest time was not the case. For the longest time, it was very hard to take a good picture. Uh, I myself have a, an antique camera I got from my father. Takes uh, rolls of film, and uh, I can't really get a good picture out of it. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I don't. So this is just to tell you that um, the advent of all this meant that film was a huge uptick because of technology in the late 70s. Film used a lot of silver. Of course, with digital today, we don't even talk about that. But So silver was on its way up. So beginning in 1973, Bunker Hunt bought 35 million ounces of silver which they flew to Switzerland and designed, specially designed airplanes guarded by armed Texas ranch hands. That's nothing more Texas than that. Armed ranch hands protecting a plane load of silver. (laughs) But that was not enough to really move the global market much. It did move it. It did take notice, but it was just one eccentric billionaire buying 35 million ounces of silver. So, again, they were buying commodities before then. They were buying a lot of commodities. And they started looking at soybeans. In the late 70s, the price of soybeans was rising very fast mainly because of Brazil having some trade restrictions due to some geopolitical issues going on with Brazil in the late 70s. And there was a large demand from China for soybeans. So they started buying and selling futures contracts in soybeans. 
and you can buy short, you can buy long. There's all kinds of different positions you can take on that. And you benefit if the price rises, you benefit if the price falls. It's very complicated. Uh, again, it gets touched on in the documentary Trading Places. But this is what commodities trading is. You are buying and selling the right to buy and sell a certain amount of soybeans. You don't ever actually own the soybeans. You buy the contract from somebody else to buy them. You want to buy low and sell high, of course. So I, it, it, it's just a very complicated and convoluted market. Uh, but it was it's also high risk, which is what the Hunt brothers really liked. So the big issue is when you have a lot of short sellers, you can end up with a warehouse full of inventory and then the price collapses. And of course, soybeans are a product that has a lifespan, right? Soybeans do not keep forever. So there is risk in soybeans. If you get stuck with a warehouse full of soybeans at a low price, you're going to have to take the loss because you can't wait out the price. So after having some trouble with the soybean futures market and having some run-ins with some regulators, of course, this didn't turn them off to their trading. They were not dissuaded. Bunker and Herbert had eased up on silver after their really big buy in 73. They bought the 35 million ounces. And again, everybody noticed that somebody bought 35 million ounces of silver, but it was a one-time purchase. So it was not one that made the markets troubled in any way. It was just an eccentric billionaire buying up a large amount of precious metals to hedge against inflation. It's something that was always going to be worth something. Okay. Silver is that way today. You know, you can buy an ounce of silver and in 10 years, it'll still be an ounce of silver and it'll be worth a little bit more. Right, current price of silver is around $23 an ounce. And back 15 years ago, it was around $19 an ounce. All right, and these are just round numbers. I'm going from my memory of times that I was buying silver uh, back 2008-2009. And I know what silver costs today. I've bought a little bit of it. It's not anything that you're going to make a lot of money on. But it's safe. It's secure. It's not going to really um, go down. It's a very stable. Silver is one of the most stable markets. You look at a graph of silver prices and it's practically a flat line. Silver is a very stable market. It always has been. So 
in the fall of 79, after the issues they had in the soybean markets, they started buying more silver. And by the end of the year, they had 21 million ounces of silver each. These two brothers. So that's 42 million ounces. In addition to the 35 million ounces they had bought several years earlier. Then they started getting into the silver futures market. Up until now, they've just been buying actual silver. They've just been buying 21 million ounces of actual silver. But they also had contracts on long for 45 million ounces. That's how much Bunker had. Herbert had 20 million ounces. And the little brother Lamar, who was busy with his football team, he had a more modest position. So... By the new year, 1980, every dollar increase in the price of silver, the Hunts were making $100 million on paper. Unlike most investors, though, when their profitable futures contracts expired, they took delivery. They had all the silver again flown to Switzerland, and this did create a shortage for silver in industrial supply. Remember, silver is used in a lot of things. It's used in electronics. Uh, it's used in, in the time period. It's still used in film today, but there's not much film being made, let's be honest. Digital imaging has taken care of that. But at the time, it was really uh, used a lot there. Nowadays, most of what was would have been used for film back in the old days is now used with electric cars. Electric cars have a lot of silver in them. Uh, batteries, conductivity, all that stuff. Silver is a great conductor of electricity, and it is really important for making electric cars. It's in your non-electric cars, too, but not as much. The, uh, electric cars use about 75% more silver than a regular car, um, or internal combustion car. I shouldn't say regular, because they're both about the normal uh, these days. Anyways, so... What happened with silver? Well, now you've got these two, three brothers with a lot of silver. And the price has shot up to... Now, remember, I told you, the price of silver currently is right around, just call it $23 to $25 an ounce. We'll just call it $25 an ounce to be... Um, to be on the safe side. I didn't look it up before recording this. I probably should have. But remember, and this is also um, in 2023 money. So right now, we're at $23.16 an ounce. That is the spot price for silver. Okay. So with all the silver buying and the going long and the going short and the commodities marketing, that the Hunt brothers were doing, the price of silver shot up in January of 1980. January 1980. 43 years ago. Shot up to $50.42 an ounce. Silver contracts were trading at $46.80 an ounce. Film companies like Kodak saw Costco through the roof 
British film company Ilford had to lay off workers because they couldn't afford to make film. All right. Tiffany and Company, who makes outstanding silver jewelry, always has, always will, took out a full-page ad in the New York Times calling the Hunt brothers just about every name they could. By mid-January, the Hunt brothers controlled 69% of all the Silver's futures contracts in the commodities exchange in New York. But what happens when something that was somewhat valuable becomes extremely valuable? Well, silver starts showing up. Silver is always been, has always been, something that has been family heirlooms. Why do we call it silverware? Because originally it was made from silver. And there's still a lot of silverware actually made from silver out there. Back even up until the 60s and 70s, it was traditional that when people got married, they got silver service. Fine china and silver service, because you have to impress those. That is what makes a home. So it's a very traditional thing. Well, now silver is at $50 an ounce. So that spoon that was worth $3 is now worth $50. It is 1980. The U.S. economy is not doing well. Inflation is very high. People need extra money. So... They started selling silver. So all of a sudden, the price started to drop because everybody was selling silver. Also, of note, we should mention that prior to 1968, all coins, except for the penny, of course, all U.S. coins contained silver. An ounce in a dollar, half ounce in a, uh, in a half dollar. So all coins, nickel to Uh, dimes, quarters, all of that. They all had silver in them. A lot of these were put aside in a jar when the silver was taken out of them. I know my grandfather, who ran a store, uh, he pulled quite a few out, uh, silver dollars especially. Anyways, so... There was this other problem, too, with the, com- with the commodities exchange, was that the Hunt brothers had borrowed a lot of money. At this point, they had bought and spent $6.6 billion, again, 1980s money, $6.6 billion is a lot today, it was an astronomical amount in 1980 for private people to be messing around with. That's how much they had spent, but they'd only spent $1 billion of their own money. The remaining 5.6 was from banks. Okay? The commodities exchange started also to crack down because they started noticing the manipulation of prices and all of this stuff. And 
what it ended up doing was capping the size of silver futures to three million ounces. Three million ounces was the la- was the most uh, silver you could trade. Those in excess of the caps, like say tens of millions of ounces, <clears throat> were given until the following month to bring themselves into compliance. The Chicago Board of Trade, on the other hand, where more commodities are sold, uh, they suspended the issue of silver futures on January 21st. Silver's futures traders would only be allowed to square up old contracts. Predictably, silver prices began to slide. As various banks and other firms that had been backing the Hunt Bullion binge began to recognize the potential financial losses, they issued margin calls. Margin calls is where you ask who the people that you borrowed your money to buy your futures with to pay up. The Hunt brothers were unable to sell their silver. Remember, they had a substantial amount of actual silver at this point. But if they started to sell off their inventory, it would trigger a panic. So they borrowed even more money. (sighs) Okay. So by March, the price of silver had dropped to about $30 an ounce. Again, remember, today, as of this recording, we're at $23.16 an ounce. All right. So it's at $30 an ounce. This is March 1980. This comes to a head on March 25th, also known as Silver Thursday, when one of the largest backers of the Hunt Brothers asked for $100 million in collateral. The brothers were out of cash, and the bank was unwilling to accept silver. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) So the Hunts went into default. And what the bank did was they started to unload their silver, which they had been taking from the Hunt brothers prior to this. And what that amounted to is the price of silver then dropped to $10.80 an ounce. That was a substantial loss. Again, remember, it was trading up in the $50 an ounce range, a range that it has never seen since then so what happened well two of the hunt brothers remember lamar kind of played in the market but he was busy with his football team which by far was the smarter move if we look at how much an nfl football team is worth these days we're just saying especially one with a winning percentage like the kansas city chiefs we're just saying so by the late 80s, the Hunt brothers, the two others, Bunker uh, Hunt, which is just a great name, by the way, uh, they had um, declared bankruptcy. Uh, at the height in the 1960s was worth $16 billion. By 88, had less than $10 million to his name. While that's not exactly nothing, it's not enough to maintain a 500-plus stable of horses. It's not enough to sustain your lifestyle. And let's face it, that is a tremendously huge loss. 
they almost dragged lenders into bankruptcy too because they had borrowed so much money and it could have been the first biggest panic financially in the U.S. since 1929. This is how close to the edge things were. Fortunately, there were mechanisms in place, and there are even more mechanisms in place nowadays. But fortunately, there were mechanisms in place because of what happened in 29, which prevented this from becoming as bad as 1929. But it could have. Two people could have done this. Um, so the market came crashing down. Even though the Hunt brothers had amassed a staggering amount of silver, it's impossible to prove that they were trying to manipulate the market. They always claimed they were just interested in the enduring value of silver. And again, a lot of people were soft on the U.S. dollar in the late 70s. So it's not su surprising were they just billionaires who got carried away with it, or were they trying to manipulate and corner the entire silver market? It honestly is hard to tell at this point. Uh, even all these years later, what was their true intent? They claimed that they weren't trying to corner the market. There are those out there who think they were. I'm on the fence about it, to be honest. I can see where their thought process was looking historically at the U.S. dollar and how soft the dollar was prior to uh, the 1980s when things started kicking up into high gear. Uh, again, there were also no limits on these commodity markets, so it was a very high-risk, high-reward uh, environment. So there weren't any you know, safety valves in place or anything of that nature. So, hey, I'm not sure. But two men, albeit two men with billions at their disposal, nearly crashed the entire world economy buying silver. And that's something that really did happen. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.